Abby, what's going on? Thanks for joining the podcast today. I appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Same, 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 same. I, uh, kind of, before we get into everything, I always like to give my guests a little bit of shout out and kind of a pat on the back as to why I wanted you to, to join me on my podcast. Cause there's a lot of people that I could have on here and, you know, for the people who may not know who you are, I want to give a little bit of backstory as to why I wanted to have you on here. And we've met, as we know, what, a couple of years ago now, kind of in a mastermind group. And we've gotten to know each other a lot over the last couple of years. And I feel like our coaching style and strategy is, is very similar in a sense. And what we talk about and what we care about and what we help clients through is very similar. And what I love about you and your content is, is you're very pro get people or especially ladies to eat more kind of movement, right? Which I think is something that has not always been the case. And it's, uh, there's not a lot of voices constantly saying that kind of stuff. And I think you do a really good job of, you know, helping people understand that our best lives are likely when we're eating more and we're building muscle and we're doing things that are taking care of ourselves instead of constantly being in this dieting mentality. So just wanted to give you a shout out. I think you do a really good job of that. And, um, you know, kind of before we get started, just tell the people about who you are, maybe the people who haven't heard of you, what you do, kind of a little backstory on yourself and, and we'll go from there. Cool. Awesome. So my name is Abby McQueenie-Penamonte. I live out in, uh, Denver, Colorado. So, um, I've been out here for gosh, like 15 or 15 years or so. And, um, my previous life, I was an ultra runner. So I competed in races. Um, my, my longest race was hundred miles and that was kind of like my specialty. So I felt like, um, I just excelled at just longer distances and it almost became like that game of like, who could suffer the most. Um, and I was the one, um, so Back in 2013, I competed in what's called the Grand Slam of Ultra Running. So that was a series of four 100-mile races within a span of 10 weeks. So basically four 100-mile races over the course of a summer. And at the time, I was also, um, you know, extremely, like, underfueled. I was kind of, I had gotten wrapped up in, like, the low-carb um, craze. And it was, you know, like the, the keto type runner, we all hear about fat adapted. Um, and even as a dietitian, right. So I've been a dietitian for almost 20 years and, you know, I do this for a living. Um, I found myself getting, you know, pulled in this direction of, you know, thinking that, you know, lighter I could be on my feet, the faster I could be and like the more efficient I could be. And I just really kind of bought into all of that stuff. Um, so I was really just, um, overtrained. And, um, in 2013, I actually, I had a great season. So I finished those races and, and really, um, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, this style of running and, you know, eating, it worked until it didn't work. And, you know, shortly after 2013, um, my body kind of revolted and I was left dealing with a lot of like the aftermath of, um, you know, kind of how I had punished my body. So I was left with, um, burnout. Um, I was struggling with things like insomnia. Um, so like I couldn't sleep, but then I was like super wired and then like really fatigued. I, um, struggled with low iron. I ended up having to have like an iron transfusion, blood sugar issues, um, thyroid issues, really. I mean, like you name it, <laughs> everything that you can think of. Um, and really just kind of struggling with being able to like give my body a chance to rest and adequately fuel my body. Um, and ultimately what happened was I kind of had to step away from the sport of running because I felt like it wasn't really serving me and I just couldn't, I couldn't find that balance. So, um, with some of the research that I had done, um, I learned that like strength training would actually be really beneficial for my hormones and kind of that state of stress that I was in. So I started to strength train and ironically, like I worked at this big box gym, but had never picked up a weight in my life. Um, so I started weightlifting. And what I realized was that every time I strength trained, I would actually fall asleep that night. 
So it really became more of like, wow, this actually makes me feel good and it helps me sleep at night. And so that's kind of how I got started with weightlifting. Um, And then of course, like a little bit of that personality of mine, I kind of fell in love with lifting, but kind of got addicted to that aspect and wanted to see how I could push my body with lifting. So, um, you know, I'm competitive and I, I wanted to just see how competitive I could be at that sport. And, um, what I learned quickly was that like, what I used to do with ultra running wasn't going to help me be the best lifter. So all of my like low carb intermittent fasting, um, low calorie, like it just wasn't going to work. And so I slowly started to reintroduce carbohydrates. And what I noticed was that I felt stronger in the gym and I could lift more weights. And that was kind of the beginning. Um, and so at that point, again, like I was super competitive and really just wanted to be the best. So I ended up actually hiring my first nutrition coach and working with that professional, I was able to reverse diet and get myself. I had started with like about 30 grams of carbs that I had been eating and working with that individual. Um, I was able to get myself over 300 grams of carbohydrates and become a competitive power lifter. So through that process, you know, I was able to learn how to fuel my body correctly. And I really just kind of developed a different relationship with, um, you know, with the scale and like learning about, you know, lifting and, and the weight on the barbell. And, um, that kind of like sparked my, my journey. Gosh, I love that. It's, so much to unpack right there. Right. But I see this a lot sometimes in our, in my client population, I I bet you have a similar, you know, kind of conclusion sometimes as well, where we get clients or people, we see how, Hey, they start with the cardio based training, or they start with things that are very accessible, very entry level. And it's, it's a great starting point at the end of the day. Right. But sometimes we get to the point where we transition through different seasons of our life, different priorities, different kind of training modalities, things that one fulfill that competitive edge that most of us tend to have. And whether you're competing against other people or just competing against yourself, there's still some level of competition that I think helps people, you know, show up and continue to try and get better when it comes to running and cardio and, and, you know, doing the ultra marathon stuff, like all of that competition is very extreme and it's not, you know, uncommon for those kind of athletes to have their body give out on them at some point, because the amount of stress and endurance that they're asking of it, you know, year after year after year, like something has to give at the end of the day, if you're not dialed in with your nutrition. And even if you are dialed in with your nutrition, like shit still happens anyway too. Right. So I see a lot of this very similar to you where it's like, Hey, it's, it's very cardio based. It's very endurance based. It's maybe the group, you know, cardio session class based going to, more of a lifting style approach, you went into powerlifting and kind of competed in that area as well. But being able to go from exercise modality until you find the right exercise modality that makes you feel good, that fulfills that kind of competitive spirit at the end of the day that a lot of us still crave and also helps us, you know, look the way we want to look and hormonally feel the way we want to feel and, and nutritionally, you know, making sure that we're not just depleting and burning out all the resources that we have training, you know, and, and lifting for hypertrophy, power lifting, picking up a barbell, like anything that has to do with resistance training and, and putting your muscles through some stress. Wow. It's just such a powerful place to be in. And it's, uh, it's cool to see someone go through that extreme of going from one exercise to the other. And, and from my understanding, you won't, you don't do any of the ultra running or any of the marathons or cardio based stuff anymore. You're primarily just resistance training now. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I run like one mile, um, once a year, like in the form of Memorial day Murph. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I get my cardio from just like daily walks with my dog. And then we do a lot of hiking here in Colorado. So we do, um, mountains and and backpacking and stuff like that, but which is, uh, is, is another form of cardio and it gets you moving and that's really great, but we don't have to go to the extreme sometimes, which is running and busting our ass thinking that that's the end all be all of health. And you said something I think is really important is this idea that the lighter you were, the better you would be maybe at your sport, right. Or the lighter weight or the smaller physique or 
you know, the smaller human that you were, the better that would translate to your performance. Now, tell me a little bit about that. Do you see that a lot with your clients and people that you work with the last, you know, 10, 15 years, this perception of like, Hey, if I get smaller, I'm going to be better at X sport or weightlifting, or I'll be in a better, you know, weightlifting class, you know, like when it comes to weight, why do we tie this, you know, emotional attachment to being a smaller human thinking that's going to always equate to be a better performer at the end of the day? Gosh, I mean, I wish, I wish I knew the answer, but I feel like, I feel like, yes, it is very common to, you know, hear that. I think more so when I was in that running space and unfortunately, like being the smallest person and being the best at performance are two like conflicting goals and just require two different modes of nutrition. And, um, again, like even, even as a professional, right. Like that was something that I struggled with. I wish someone had told me then like, Hey, if, if you really want to be the best at your sport, this is what you're going to do. And we're not going to focus on the way that you look and the aesthetic component. But I think, yes, I think people really, um, struggle with really just kind of clarifying almost their goal. And I think a lot of times people think that they can do everything at one time. I want to be the best CrossFitter, but I also want to have the, you know, the best six pack. And oh, by the way, I also want to whatever, improve my blood pressure um, or get off this medication. And they don't realize that like they all require different, you know, nutrition periodizations. Totally, totally. And you bring up a good point of like nutrition periodization, right? And this, this idea that, Hey, for different seasons of your life or for different times of the year, we're doing things differently with our nutrition. And the same applies to our training at the end of the day too. Like you just can't go try and set a PR every single time you're in the gym or every time you go on a run, like there has to be some break between that and these different blocks where, you know, you're leading up to maybe a peak week instead of just trying to get after it every single week. But the same applies for our nutrition, right? And I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to maybe sports is like, and maybe not sports all the time, but especially when it comes to like diet culture and people dieting to the physique that they want, it's like, hey, the lower calories, the better, because the lower calories means that maybe I have a potential to lose more fat and that's going to get me at the end goal. And you said something really important of like, Hey, there's a big difference of like physique nutrition versus performance nutrition at the end of the day. And, and the way we approach that and how we fuel that and how we nourish your body is going to look different, you know, based on the goals that are important to you. And I think that's really important to understand is like a lot of us, we have all of these goals in our head that we, we want to accomplish. And sometimes we want to accomplish them all at once. Sometimes we think, you know, Hey, maybe we break it up into these different phases of our life, but at the end of the day, it's all going to come down to what's most important to you and, and what are the things that we could do to help get you to where we want to where you want to be the quickest so we can continue to kind of build momentum and go forward that way. Right. And tell me about because you said the word reverse dieting. I guess we can kind of get into that a little bit too. Going from the ultra, you know, cardio, ultra, you know, running, all that stuff, increasing calories, reverse dieting, getting to a higher calorie range, maintenance calorie range maybe going into a surplus, like what was that like for you at the time? Had you ever heard of that? And yeah. for the people who don't even know what reverse dieting is, like kind of maybe give a little mini Abby definition of what that is to you. Sure. So, I mean, the best way that I like to explain this to people and like the simplest way I like to explain it is, um, you know, the, the body, the body is so smart and the body's number one goal is to, to keep us alive. Um, I always say like, Hey, we were meant to survive, thrive and procreate. So we weren't meant to have, you know, a six pack 365 days a year or be like the most shredded or the most jacked. Um, so your body is going to always find a way to adapt and to keep you alive. Right. So body has two choices. We either, you know, die or adapt. And so what can happen is if we don't feed the body enough food, then eventually we start to slow down that metabolism and readapt to that smaller number of calories that we're taking in. And that's what's called metabolic adaptation. So I always like to explain like this is the analogy I give. So 
um, you know, your body, think of your body as like an ATM machine or like your bank account. And what we want to do, so if we've created this metabolic adaptation, so this is the person that's like, I, you know, I was dieting off of 1500 calories. I saw some results, then it plateaued. Now I got to eat 1200 calories, get some results, plateau. Oh my God. Like now what do I have to do? I have to cut my calories to 800 to see results. So this is kind of who we're talking about. Right. Or I like bust ass at the gym. I eat as good as possible. Right. And I don't get results. So metabolic adaptations, we've kind of created this um, almost like this bankruptcy, right. With our account. And so with reverse dieting, what we have to do is we have to put money into the, the ATM machine. So we have to start to make deposits into the ATM. And so that is gradually increasing calories and focusing on biofeedback. So focusing on things like sleep and hormone regulation, um, for females, menstrual cycle, or energy mood, um, you know, just focusing on strength in the gym. So really putting those deposits into the bank and building up your bank account, building up your wealth or your health and getting your body into a, a good and safe position to down the road, if, if it's something you want to do to earn that right to then diet or to, you know, take money out of the ATM machine. And again, kind of going with that same analogy, what I always tell clients is that like, you know, the higher your budget is, the higher that bank account is, the more flexibility we have, right? So just like in real life, right? If you have more money, you're able to afford maybe a bigger house or a new car or going on vacation, right? You have more flexibility beyond your basic necessities of your mortgage and, you know, et cetera. Um, so it's the same thing with metabolism, right? When we have more flexibility, that means that we get to enjoy more of the date nights and the vacations and stuff like that without having such a dramatic impact on our metabolism, our physique, our weight. Um, so really it's just teaching our body to, we want to get our body back to that homeostasis. We want to get our body back to, um, you know, a healthy and safe space, yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times I'll kind of use this idea of like building a pros and cons list with clients who are maybe coming from a smaller calorie range. Like you said, 14, 15, 1600 calories. We're trying to get them up to, you know, 2000, 2200, which is where females could and should be eating at the end of the day too, right? This idea that we could just maintain and live off of 1400 calories forever like that's likely not depressing best life. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and if we were to make a pros and cons list of like, Hey, eating at a higher calorie range, reversing calories up, um, getting to a place where we're at your new maintenance calorie range and in maintenance calories, there's technically kind of a range. Maybe it's a hundred to yeah. calories, you know, our, our metabolism fluctuates day to day and there's not an exact number that we're going to shoot for. Um, but finding that range is also a really, you know, valuable and important thing to see how high we can get while still maintaining the weight that you're currently at. And a lot of times when we're working with clients, it's like, let's make a pro and cons list of reverse dieting, getting up to a higher calorie range. And you alluded to it a lot, right? Like in using your ATM analogy, like a lot of the pros that come from eating more calories are things like, you know, better hormones, feeling better overall, having more energy having better performance, um, in the gym or having better results, like right? having better recovery, having more social life, more social situations, being able to be more flexible with your nutrition. Um, also maybe your headspace around food, knowing that you're allotted more calories throughout the course of the day and being able to build that kind of brings this flexible dieting, um, term into question or, um, into the scene of like, Hey, you know, we can enjoy a lot of these things while still hitting your goals while eating, a certain amount of calories while still maintaining your weight. And a lot of times when we look at the, the cons list of, you know, this list that we're making when we're trying to reverse calories, eat more, really the only con that there is, is the idea that we can maybe gain a little bit of fat or gain a little bit of total body weight at the end of the day. Um, but it's still that one con that just scares the shit out of people, right? Like we zoom out and you look at all these pros compared to the cons. Most people will be like, Oh, why not take this? But there's still that fear sometimes of people gaining weight. And 
do you notice that sometimes in your clients where maybe they come to you, we have this phase where it's like, Hey, the goal that you're trying to get to, maybe it's reducing body fat, having a little bit more body recomposition. Maybe it takes going into a cut, but we're not going to cut three or 400 calories from where you're at today. Cause that's going to put you way too low and having them reverse up. Is there a lot of fear initially? And you can maybe tell us about maybe some of the fears or concerns that you had going into your reverse diet, um, back with your old coach, um, back in the day, but what are some of the kind of fears and, and things that we have to get over that you have conversations about as you go into some of those phases where we're increasing calories with people? Yeah, I think there's a definite fear. And I think again, like that's where our diet culture has really ha- has done a great job of instilling that fear with us because we're so programmed to think that we're supposed to be eating, you know, 12, 1300 calories and anything more than that. And gosh, you're going to, you know, look like a man or that's what guys eat. Um, but like, I'm pretty, I can sometimes be black and white with people. And, and I always tell people like, if I'm, you know, having a call with them to potentially take them on as a client and they're telling me that they're eating 1200 calories, I'm like, all right, so we don't have any place to cut you. So we've got two options. One, you're not going to be my client or two, like we have to rebuild that bank account. Um, and normally, right. If people are coming to me for coaching and they want to maybe they don't want, but they need to pay me money, right. To coach. Um, they're usually not coming to me saying, wow, I feel amazing. And I want your help. It's, oh my God, like I feel like garbage. And it's like, my sleep sucks. My energy sucks. My sex drive, like all these things are are not great. Hey, none of that gets better in the absence of food. So, um, the reality is that like, as we reverse diet someone, like there's three, there's three potential outcomes for a reverse. And I always tell people like, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how your body is going to respond, but we do see people that are hyper responders. So these are the people like their bodies are pumped. We're finally feeding you. We're finally putting money in the ATM machine. And so the body is, you know, excited and these people will lose weight. So we see a change on the scale. Um, again, that's a really small percentage that that happens with, um, other scenario is that people go through this reverse phase and they maintain, you know, plus or minus we see, you know, basically that the number on the scale is relatively the same. However, we can see some significant physique changes. So we can see changes in body composition. doesn't mean that you have to, or that you're going to stay the same as we put money into the bank, right? Like we're going to improve strength. We're going to improve like that effort in the gym. And the last scenario was actually the scenario that I was in. And um, these are people that gain weight. And generally, people that are gaining weight are the people that need to gain weight to restore their hormones. So my body was like such a wreck. I didn't have a period for several years. Um, You know, thyroid, all the hormones, right, were out of whack. And so working with this coach. And even before I worked with the coach, I had gained about 20 to 30 pounds and, you know, it totally sucked. And I think that I had a lot of body image issues in that phase, but it was 100% necessary in order to get my body and restore that homeostasis, get my body back to where it needed to be. Totally. And yeah, you bring up a good point. There's a lot of different directions or results that can happen when you approach a reverse diet correctly, or when you start working with a coach and, and sometimes just from my observations as well, things that I'll notice sometimes with clients too, you, you mentioned how there's a possibility of people actually reducing weight when they start to increase calories initially. And part of that, if they've been really strict and adherent and in doing that, and they come up temporarily and we get them out of this, you know, predominantly the sympathetic state and we get them more into this right rest and digest state and they're feeling better and their hormones are re-regulating and they're starting to have more energy. They're feeling better. Like sometimes your body starts to view that as, Hey, I'm not dying. So I can continue to adapt. And, and it's a very magical thing when people can do yeah. that, and lose weight. That's it's a very small percentage of people that actually do get to do that. Um, there's also situation that I've noticed that, you know, people lose weight when we reverse diet, quote unquote. And these are sometimes the people who have been yo-yo dieters forever or for a period of time. Uh, Maybe they've been dieting for the last five, 10 years on and off. 
And when they come to you, it's like, Hey, I'm eating around this calorie range, 12, 13, 1400 calories. And maybe there's a chance that they are eating that at a certain range for a period of time for the week. And then there's also a chance that maybe they're not eating anywhere close to that in the weekends or different times or social situations, they're eating more calories and their weekly averages are higher than what they think they are right now than what they, um, you know, a lot of times we tend to overestimate what we're doing consistently and underestimate some of the things that we're not doing. Yeah. And sometimes when people come and they work with a coach and they establish a new calorie range and theoretically we move up to 1700 calories and they start seeing maybe a little gradual weight loss. Sometimes it's not a reverse diet at all. Sometimes it's them just being a little bit more adherent with their calories throughout the course of the week. And that's actually a small deficit for them. And they're seeing some results because of that too. So it's hard, right? Cause as coaches, we, we want to believe everything our clients are saying, and we, we trust what they say and we have empathy, but a lot of times it takes working with a coach sometimes to realize that, Hey, we were inconsistent, or maybe I was eating closer to 1800 calories instead of 1400 calories consistently. And sometimes yeah. it takes an extra set of eyes to really double down on some of those things and to build awareness around what we were actually doing and what we weren't doing. So I my, my favorite is like when people say, um, but I eat really clean. Like I, I eat clean all the time. So I don't understand like why I'm not losing weight or why I'm not losing fat. I'm like, well, first of all, like, let's not go into that, but clean is not a word, um, a scientific word. But secondly, yeah, like eating clean doesn't equate to the caloric value of food. So yeah, you could be eating all the almond butter in the world and that's considered whatever paleo clean. Um, but ultimately you're going to be in a surplus, right? If you eat a jar of almond butter every single day. So yes, I think absolutely consistency. I think building awareness first and foremost of like how much are we actually spending, right? If we go back to the money analogy, how much are we like spending on our food? How much are we currently intaking? And then you mentioned something too, where I think it's, it's also like, what about expenditure? Are we overestimating our activity level? Cause I get that a lot too. People are like, oh yeah. Like, you know, I ask them like, well, what do you do for work? And they're like, oh, I, I travel for work. And I'm like, well, unless you're like Fred Flintstone, like you're not really burning a lot, like sitting in your car. Um, so I think it's getting clear around, yeah, like what are we actually doing day to day and cool. You crushed yourself in a class for an hour, but then you're sitting at your desk for the other 23, 24 hours in the day. Hey, we're probably not burning as much as we think. Mm -hmm. I think this just goes to show that this is such <laughs> a very multifactorial process, right? A lot of things that have to do with our metabolism is there's different factors that influence it at the end of the day. And we may think that we're dialing in one of them and the most important one, when in reality, there's six other components and inputs that still make as much as a different or sometimes more of a difference. Right. And like you said, a lot of times we'll see, oh, I'm working out four to six times a week, sometimes double days, sometimes going on runs, sometimes, you know, doing seven days a week. And that's great. Right. And, and when we look big picture, like, Hey, maybe the nutrition isn't dialed in, maybe we're not eating enough protein. Maybe calories are lower on some days. Maybe we do that for a period of time, maybe similar to where you were at when your ultra marathon running days, when your body just eventually gave out at the end of the day, but our bodies are really good at adapting to the energy that's coming in and how much we're expending. Right. And if we're just continuing to expend, Amen. expend, yes. expend, right. Like it gets to a point where your body gets really good at conserving energy and maybe you're working out a lot but your body can adapt to that. And a lot of times it's a subconscious reduction in NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, where, you know, the amount of calories that you're burning throughout the course of the day, aside from exercise alone reduces to compensate for the energy that maybe you are burning, you know, during your workouts and exercise bouts throughout the week. So sometimes reintroducing food, getting to a higher calorie range, you know, telling your body's like, Hey, there's enough energy and, and there's a consistency with the amount of food that we're getting, your body can adapt to that. And then that gives us more flexibility and options in the future. But a lot of times we miss that opportunity. A lot of people miss that opportunity to come back to a maintenance calorie range, hang out there consistently before they try and go to a next dieting phase. And they get to this pace where they yo-yo diet, they cut back on calories and then they rebound. They say, fuck it. They go to a place where is the opposite of what they were doing for six or eight weeks at a time. And then they go back and forth between these phases and we don't spend time in the, one of the most important like insanity, things, right? right? Yeah, exactly. It's like exactly. literally the definition, it's like doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Well, totally. you just 
tried to do this off of 1400 like why do you think 1200 is going to be any better exactly exactly so yeah i think being at a maintenance calorie range it's very undervalued and underappreciated in the space and it's also something that just people don't even know about at the end of the day too right is this energy balance equation that we have to look at when we're gaining weight maintaining weight or losing weight at the end of the day but is maintenance a space that you like to get people to is that something that you have conversations about with your clients like when we think about reverse dieting and getting to a maintenance calorie range, like what, what would you say your philosophy or your approach is when it comes to getting people to eat more consistently? And, and how do you think that, um, ties into everything when working towards our goals at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, I think that most people, so, so I'll just say like right now, I primarily work with women who do strength train. So I'm not, like I said, super involved in the running community anymore. Um, so, so most women that are coming to me are kind of in that similar state that I was in where they're, you know, chronically overtraining and, you know, consistently under consuming and under fueling, um, under recovered. So for many women, it is that classic case of like, we have to get you back to homeostasis. Um, are there several women, right. That are just not consistent. And we just kind of have to, you know, build that awareness and, and, um, you know, coach them in the right direction. Sure. But I would say most women are in that state of like, Hey dude, your, your bank account is empty. Like we have to, we got to reload it. Um, so yeah, most, most women were working towards that maintenance and really focusing on biofeedback. So again, like getting, you know, getting the internal stuff to, you know, signal like, Hey, we're, we're moving in the right direction. I always say like chase, chase the, the, um, physiology, right? Like the, the aesthetic piece will follow, but chase the internal piece, um, chase health. Right. And again, like your, your weight and the way you look, it's usually secondary to how your body is feeling internally. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times the goals and the numbers and the physique that we're working towards, is usually a byproduct of like fueling the shit out of your body and doing that consistently and getting to a place where you're feeling good. Cause when you feel better, your hormones are in check, your hunger cues are in check. You're, you know, having better workouts. Like that is what helps people get to their goals at the end of the day, instead of being in this constant state of like deprivation and thinking that more is always better at the end of the day. And I, it sucks because I, I feel like a lot of the diet culture you alluded to earlier, it's like, we've made people fall in love with that, this idea that we have to live in restriction and we need to do that. And people are scared to live in abundance, partially because we don't know what that actually looks like at the end of the day. Um, but this idea that less is always better when it comes to food and nutrition and weighing yourself and, and that's going to equate to happiness at the end of the day, which really we both know is not the case, right. In getting people to challenge a lot of those beliefs that they've been buying into and telling themselves forever, part of the reason people come to a coach is to kind of challenge those perceptions. And it's tough in the beginning, but it's not the sexy thing, right? It's not yes. what sells things. It's not That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It's not the thing that people come to us craving. A lot of times people come, it's like, Hey, I'm eating clean, but I just need to eat cleaner. And I need to get on your training <laughs> program. Cause you look the part. And it's like, maybe, you know, we do some of that, but at the end of the day, we're going to do something completely opposite and we're going to increase calories and we're going to take a route that's a little more unconventional, but the way that's going to get you to a place where you actually feel good in a body that you enjoy while also working towards your goals too, you know? Amen. Yeah. Like I was, I was definitely going to say that. I, I think that like what, at least I can speak for myself. I will say like what I do and how I help people, it isn't really sexy. Like how sexy is it to try and sell like oh, you need to drink enough water and you have to eat enough protein and you have to get good sleep like that. That stuff doesn't sell, you know, and, and there's nothing to sell when it comes to that. Like, how do I sell you like water, right? Water's free. Whereas over here we can sell diet products and protein shakes and, you know, supplements and stuff like that. Um, but I think that, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, society is kind of like that, but I, I think that you're definitely on the right track with, yeah, like let's do this unconventional approach. And I think ultimately, like I always tell people like, let's create sustainability. Like let's create your forever plan where you can kind of like live like this the rest of your life, because you do want to be able to go out on date nights. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to go on work trips. 
And if you're trying to do that off of, you know, 14, 15, even 1700 calories the rest of your life, that is not sustainable. So why not build up that budget and give yourself more flexibility to, you know, do the things that that we want to do in life and enjoy the food and have that balance. Exactly. You know, a lot of times we think that the goals are working towards the aesthetics or the physique or performance. Like a lot of times we view that and we, we reach for those at the expense of our health and our mental health and our social life. Right. And we, there's this perception that like, Hey, you can live your best life or you can continue to reach your goals. And it's almost like those are mutually exclusive for some people. At the end of the day, I think you could probably agree with me, but a lot of my coaching philosophy is like, how can we get you in a body that you enjoy, that you feel good in while also living a life that you enjoy, that you feel good in. And yes, there's going to be a kind of that, you know, teeter totter analogy of like, Hey, there's maybe more times we're going to be more aggressive and dialed in with our nutrition, but we're also going to come back to the other side and, and realize that, Hey, sometimes it takes going to a place of extreme or unbalanced to come back to a place of balance. So you can appreciate eating at maintenance, eating more calories, having really good workouts, building some muscle and valuing that over always being lean 24 seven, right? Because there's kind of this misconception that like, you know, the leaner you get, the more disproportionate amount of work, you know, to reward that you have to do to get to that last five, 10, last five pounds weight loss, right? That last 10 pound weight loss. And sometimes losing those fat last five pounds are not conducive to your life right now. They're not sustainable for you. And let's be real. Like people don't even fucking notice that like you five pounds less don't even notice that. And you, you, you might notice a little bit of difference, but um, sometimes it takes getting to that place to realize that, but we've kind of tiptoed around it a little bit, but let's talk about the scale for a second. Right. Because that's usually a number that people have in the back of their head. It's like, Hey, this number, I'm going to look the way I want to look. Right. Or I'm going to feel the way I want to feel, or I'm going to have more confidence when I hit this 20 pound or 30 pound weight loss number. And I just am curious and not to just put you on the spot, but like, how do you use the scale with your clients and in your practice? And how do you kind of implement that with people? And, and what kind of discussions do you think that we need to be having with our clients and with ourselves when it comes to weighing ourselves on the scale and everything associated with that? I think, you know, to be honest, I think that a lot of times, you know, when women come to me and they describe their goals and they describe like the body they want. I think ultimately that body that they're striving for, like that athletic physique requires a lot more muscle and most likely weighs probably 10 to 15 pounds more than what they currently weigh. Right. I see these women and they're like, here's my goal body. I'm like, that's awesome. We got to gain like 10 pounds. And that's, that's really tough for a lot of people. And again, like I can't explain the psychology part piece there, but, um, unfortunately, yes, I think a lot of people, you know, put, put a lot of stock into that number and they're not looking at that biofeedback because like you said, like, Hey, I want to lose these last five pounds. Well, at what cost, right? Because again, we're most likely going to see changes in things like your, you know, sex drive and performance and menstrual cycle and et cetera. Right. So is that really worth it? Um, and you know, my, my goal with clients is to use the scale as a tool. Um, we've got a lot of different tools that we use, but it is, it is a tool. Um, and I work with clients, you know, obviously on a, an individual basis and, you know, some folks maybe we're not using the scale, but ultimately the goal over time is to create scale neutrality where we can jump on a scale, we get a, a number and it doesn't make us and it doesn't break us for the day. It's like, okay, I weigh 140 pounds. Cool. Let me brush my hair, brush my teeth and start my day. Like it really, it shouldn't impact us the way that it does. And I think if people put more energy into focusing on their sleep and their strength and, you know, building muscle, I think that that would probably go a lot farther than obsessing over that number. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You hit on a couple of really important things there that I'll build on and value a lot too, because that's a, a similar approach that I share with my clients too, is the scale is a tool at the end of the day. And it's, it's one piece of the pie out of probably a, you know, eight to 20 piece pie, if we really think about it. And there's a lot of input, but a lot of times people think that 
the scale is half the pie, right? Or it's the full pie. When in reality, it's sometimes, again, maybe it's not, you know, the person's job to realize that sometimes that's where a coach can step in and it's not to tell them what to do, but it's also to tell them where to look at the end of the day, because I think there's a lot of value in, in, you know, not looking at life through a, a fucking straw at the end of the day, which is what we tend to value most of our success on is what the number we see on the scale. And yeah, the psychological component of that is, is massive. And, and you said scale neutrality. I think that's such a good point to make because like, imagine, you know, for other people listening, it's like, imagine, you know, you have your baseline emotions, right. And on a scale of zero to 10, zero is ultimate neutrality. Don't give a you know, care about anything. 10 is you're really happy or, or you're really sad, right? Or negative 10 is really sad. I feel like when, whenever somebody steps on the scale, it, it, if the weight goes down, right, they're like 10 or 11 happy, right? And that dictates their emotions for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, and, and when that scale goes up or it doesn't go in the direction or it doesn't move at all, as opposite, they're like a negative 10 or a negative 11 <laughs> on that scale of one to 10, right? Or zero to 10. And like, and not to say that you can't have emotions, like we're not being fucking robots out re out here. Like we're all human at the end of the day, but I just, I think those reactions are normal, but we have to get to the point where, how can we go from instead of a zero to a 10 to a zero to a one or a zero and a two and, and maintaining a little bit more of a level head when we're tracking this data, which is really all it is. Cause we use that to make adjustments and, and we get that as feedback for future things that we're going to do. But how can we just, yeah, be more neutral, like you said? I think that was a really good point that you that you hit on. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of my clients too. It's it's the education, right? I mean, some people some people really don't understand like the things that impact their weight too. And so you know, after a while, clients you know will actually start to like put it in their check in, like, oh my gosh, you know, I can actually see the connection between. Um, you know, my hydration status or my digestion and that scale weight. And so that's a really cool win is to see them make those connections um, and really understand that like, Hey, if you didn't like take a poop this morning, there's a good chance your weight's going to be higher, but that doesn't mean that we gained fat, right? Because that would require a lot of excess calories that, you know, nine times out of 10 is not what what's happening. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. And those scale fluctuations that we see day to day, like they can vary probably between a half a pound up to four pounds for some people. And then we get, you know, talking about, you know, girls who are on their period or different times of the, of their cycle. Like there's so many things that can influence your weight day to day, hour to hour, second to second. So it's how can we take those averages over the course of the week and, and kind of take it with a grain of salt and look at everything else as, as kind of a big picture. And I think you bring up a good point too, is like, Hey, some people, you know, think that being two pounds less on the scale, that that will be better. Like sometimes, and I would say most of the time we, you with more glycogen, you with more water retention in your muscle, you having more energy, like you look better, you look more full, you look more tight or defined insert, whatever word that you want to, you know, use to describe your physique. A lot of times you look better and it's the same kind of conversation with like creatine, right? This is big you know, perception that creatine is going to make you re retain water, but all that happens inside the muscle cell. And you look better oftentimes when you are more full and you have, you know, more water and just more substance in your cells. A lot of times that changes the way you look and you could theoretically weigh the same or be within a two, three pound difference, but look a little bit different in, in both pictures, you know? Yeah. And I think, again, I think that goes back to so often, right? Like the, the, the goal that people desire again, often it really does require most likely a gain in muscle, a gain in weight. And again, it's having that conversation with people because I have women, you know, sometimes it's like they're, you know, a hundred pounds sopping wet and they're like, I need to lose weight. I, I want to see my abs or I want to see my shoulders or whatever. I'm like, so you will just be a skinnier version of yourself. Like those muscles aren't going to pop right when you lose weight, if you haven't spent the time growing that muscle. Um, and I think that's the really big misconception is that like, you gotta, you gotta grow that muscle and, um, you know, that requires eating and fueling your body adequately and, and obviously strength training too. I love that. And 
kind of wrapping it up here, I'll ask you one more question, but just kind of tying everything together, right? We've talked about reverse dieting and the scale and eating at maintenance and putting on muscle, right? And, and all these different things that a lot of times we take our clients through, but usually what happens is like, Hey, somebody claims to be eating this much, or they are actually eating this much and they should, or could be eating six or 700 more calories. We reverse diet, we get them to maintenance. We get a space where we're feeling good, putting on a little bit more muscle, right? Intentionally going into a surplus or recomping at maintenance, getting them feeling better, getting hormones in check, right? Getting them to maybe a weight that they don't love, but using the weight as feedback to make adjustments and, and to, um, you know, make educated guesses on where calories should be and so forth. So let's say we get to kind of the final end point here, right? Where we talked about nutrition periodization for a second, where there's different phases of, Hey, increasing calories, maintaining calories, going into a cut or a deficit. When you say the word, like the words going, you know, into a deficit, earning the right to diet, maybe we've spent this six to nine or sometimes 12 months realistically, right. Of getting somebody to a spot where they feel good. They look good. They have more muscle. And now it's time to actually go into their next dieting phase. When you say you have to earn the right to diet, like, what do you think that means? What's some criteria that, you know, we can give, you know, people some, a little mini checklist or something, or what do you mean when it says, when you say, Hey, earn your right to diet and then going for that. That means that biofeedback is on, is on target. So that means that like all of those internal pieces are, you know, a plus. So that's the sleep energy mood menstrual cycle. I mean, that is, that is a big, like indicator for females, um, sex drive performance in the gym strength, like all of that stuff is in a good spot. Mentally, we're in a good spot too, right? Like through this process, we should have created a better relationship with food, um, you know, found balance with our fitness, right? We're not overtraining or recovering correctly. So really those are the big things that I really look at as far as like earning that right to diet and then once, you know, once someone's in that good spot, then I have no problem like supporting you into a deficit again, barring that we're doing it in a positive fashion and we're doing it as in a way to, you know, respect the body and, and, um, you know, still obviously fuel the body. It's not coming from a place of like self-hate or punishment. Um, but once we make that, you know, once we make that leap towards a deficit, man, it should be a smooth transaction. So talk about like, we've built up this bank account. Cool. Now you are going to buy that, like whatever that, that dream car that you wanted or whatever. It's a smooth transaction. You have the money and, um, I can give you a quick example, but I worked with a gal, um, still working with her, but she came to me eating around like 17 to 1900 calories and we worked over several, several months to build her up to about 24, 25 was her maintenance. Um, through the process, it was about three months span. Um, we focused on things like her energy, her sleep was a big thing, her stress and her um, period. So we worked on that stuff in the midst. She also got COVID. So we had to support her body and help her recover. Um, but she felt good at 24, 2,500 calories. Um, and then she was like, okay, like I'm, you know, I'm ready to now, you know, do this cut. And I really want to, you know, obviously have you support me. So now what we're doing is we're cutting off of 2,100 calories. So like the minimum deficit possible, like 10% reduction, 2,100 calories. And she's got two refeed days at 2,500 calories. So the girl is consistently losing a pound a week off of 2,100 calories with two refeeds. Like that is, that, that's smooth sailing, right? Like that's, she did the work and now like, you want to be able to diet off of the most amount of calories. That's the dream right there. Right. Yes. And, and part of the reason why she's been so successful is maybe she's had a coach, right. To help guide her through and change the relationship with food and feel better. But you've also probably been able to build some sort of routine and some consistency and learned about what's in our food and how all foods can fit in the diet. And, you know, maybe where alcohol fits and where date night fits and where these social gatherings fit and how I can hit my grams of protein and calories for the day consistently. And when you have an understanding and awareness around that, it makes cutting easier because one, you're more adherent and you know what it takes. And 
there's not this guesswork at the end of the day, right? Of like, Hey, reducing this or just meeting this calorie goal. There's been a lot of, you know, you know, legwork upfront to make that process a lot easier, not to mention getting your metabolism to a place where you can actually cut on a sustainable and reasonable, um, you know, main or, um, deficit calories, and then eventually get to a place where you can increase calories from there after you get in and get the fuck out of the deficit, right? Because there's no reason that we should be spending as much time as possible in a deficit. And that should be always a priority of, can they get in and can I get out as quickly as possible? And, and it takes sometimes six to nine months to be able to get there. But I promise you that is always going to be the shortest route than the routes that other people are taking at the end of the day too. So it's putting yes. it into perspective. Is this next six to 12 months we think about that. It's a little rock on the road of, of, you know, our whole entire life. And, and that's oftentimes what it takes to get to the destination that you want to be. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I love that. Yeah. And I, I definitely, I mean, like that's, that's language that I use too. I always say like, play the long game to take the shortcut. So do it the right way. And again, like you said, it's, it's going to take time, like, which in, like you said, in the grand scheme of things, like, a year is a drop in the bucket compared to your 20 something years of like dieting and restriction. But yeah, like play the long game, do it the right way. And, and you're going to reap the rewards. And that ultimately is the shortcut to, you know, sustainability and success. Absolutely. And maybe we'll schedule for another podcast and we can talk about being in a deficit and what that takes and what that looks like and percentages to go into a cut and refeed days or diet breaks and scheduling those out. I think that could be a really good conversation we could have in the future too, but I want to be respectful of your time. Tell the people where they can find you. I'll, I'll also link everything in the show notes as well, but tell the people where they can reach you out if they have anything for you. Perfect. Yeah. Thank, thank you again for having me, but you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Abby McPabby. And then my, um, coaching website is coachingwithabby.com. Love it. Thanks for coming on, Abby. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Luke. Bye. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.